Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. We don't want to go long for the sake of long, but we want to go long to give a chance for people to actually engage in God's presence. So that was an awesome time in worship. So thank you, worship team. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to get right into it here. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Last week, I did a message called Stewarding God's Voice, and this week, I kind of want to keep going with that theme. Um, So to kick it off, I'll uh, ask you a question. Have you ever, guys, have you ever heard the term, uh, the phrase, they don't make them like they used to? They don't make it like they used to. You ever heard that phrase? Well, let me ask a question. Is that true? Is it actually true? Do products made in the past have a higher quality than products that are made today? Uh, recently, um, just from watching YouTube and my wife and I were talking about this, she saw a podcast on this, or listened to a podcast, I should say, on this same thing. Um, I learned a phrase I was not familiar with. It's called planned obsolescence. How many of you ever heard the phrase planned obsolescence? What does that mean? It means the designers of products will actually, in that design, design it in such a way that it doesn't last forever. Design it in such a way that you will have to replace it. You will have to update it. You will have to renew it. That's called plan obsolescence. And it's a real thing. Why would a company do such a thing? Well, they do it to make more money and to ensure future sales. How many of you have an iPhone in your pocket? Okay, there's some plan obsolescence within that, within that um, device that you have. They don't want you to keep the same phone for 10 years. They want you to upgrade and buy the new one. Okay, there's companies totally strategized to do this. And uh, one example of this um, is the uh, incandescent light bulb, okay? Um, And I have a video, short video. This is a video about things like cars, phones, and light bulbs, and an actual conspiracy that made them worse. I am outside Livermore Fire Station number six. And in here, they have the longest continuously on light bulb in the world. It has been on for 120 years, since 1901. There it is, huh? It's not even connected to a light switch, but it does have a backup battery and generator. So the big question is, how has this light bulb lasted so long? It was manufactured by hand not long after commercial light bulbs were first invented. And yet, it has been running for over a million hours, way longer than any light bulb today is meant to last. A while back, a friend of mine told me this story, that someone had invented a light bulb that would last forever, years ago, but they never sold it because an everlasting light bulb makes for a terrible business model. I mean, you would never have any repeat customers, and eventually you would run out of people to sell light bulbs to. I thought this story sounded ridiculous. If you could make an everlasting light bulb, then everyone would buy your light bulb over the competitors. And so you could charge really high prices, make a lot of money, even if demand would eventually dry up. I just couldn't imagine that we had better light bulbs in the past and then intentionally made them worse. But it turns out I was wrong. In Geneva, Switzerland, just before Christmas 1924, there was a secret meeting of top executives from the world's leading light bulb companies. Philips, International General Electric, Tokyo Electric, Osram from Germany, and the UK's Associated Electric, among others. They formed what became known as the Phoebus Cartel. There, all these companies agreed to work together to help each other. 
by controlling the world's supply of light bulbs. But how do you make a worse light bulb in the first place? Well, the same engineers who had previously been tasked with extending the lifespan now had to find ways to decrease it. So they tried different materials, different shaped filaments, and thinner connections. And if you look at the data, they were successful. Ever since the formation of the cartel, the lifespan of light bulbs steadily decreased, so that by 1934, the average lifespan was just 1,205 hours. And just as they had planned, sales increased for cartel members by 25% in the four years after 1926. That's crazy. That light bulb has been burning for 120 years, almost continually. There's only been a few breaks since, it's, it, since it started, 1901. The practice of planned obsolescence continued to grow, and today we have many, many products that are actually designed to not last, they're designed to fail. iPhones, cars, different things like that. So when they say they don't make them like they used to, it's true, they actually don't. And there's actually, they're actually trying to pass laws now um, to, to stop um, planned obsolescence and what's called right to repair, that you would have the right to repair any product that you have and that the supply chains would have to remain open. Um, go ahead, and, I'll, before I transition here, go ahead and put up that picture. I, I, this is, so they have that, you saw that video camera. I took this screenshot on, on Friday and it's still going. They have that camera on there. You can go to their website and see the, see the, uh, the light bulb. It's still burning to this day. So, okay, today I want to talk to you about a product that never becomes obsolete. I only want to hear about that. I want to talk to you about the Word of God. Amen. This, this never becomes obsolete. This is tried and true. Uh, what this book said 120 years ago is still true today. Amen. It's going to be true 120 years from now. Culture has shifted dramatically over the past 120 years, but God's word is the same and it's relevant today. Amen. What it said is wrong 120 years ago is wrong today even though culture shifted. What it says is good and right and just 120 years ago is still right today and will be right 120 years from now. The title of our message today is called God's Word Tried and True. God's Word Tried and True. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to um, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the parable of the sower today. The parable of the sower is found in three of the four Gospels, also known as the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written in a similar way. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are a similar pattern in those three Gospels. John is a little bit different. But they all have the parable of the sower in them, very similar um, in the different Gospels, but it gives us a little snapshot, um, slightly different. Now, when we get into this parable of the sower, you need to know uh, two things. It talks about the seed... And the seed is the word of God. The seeds that God wants to sow in our lives is the word of God. And it talks about different soils. And those are the different heart postures. So there's one seed, but many different heart postures, okay? So let's, let's look at this. Matthew 13, verses uh, 3 through 9. He, speaking of Jesus, he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced the crop, a hundred, 
160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Today, I want to highlight a few different ways that the enemy of your soul will try to snatch out and take the word of God from you that's trying to be sown into your heart. Now, typically, uh, when a lot of people look at the parable of the sower, they look at it in the context of salvation. And that is true, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom. It is true that when the message of the gospel of the kingdom is spoken, the enemy of your soul would try to steal that away from you. But what I want to say today is really anything God speaks to you, whether it's in the Bible, where you're reading the, the, the word of God by yourself, or someone gives you a prophetic word, or, or there's preaching happening, anything God is trying to sow into your heart, the enemy of your soul will want to snatch that away from you. Matthew 13, uh, 8 and 9, it says this, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, okay, so that we're talking about a, a message about the kingdom, any message about the kingdom, um, includes more than just the doctrine of salvation. It includes anything God is speaking to you and sowing into your life. How many have had pro- a prophetic word lately? How many, how many have received a prophetic word lately? Listen, the enemy of your soul does not want that prophetic word to go into your heart and to uh, produce a harvest. Um, anything, any message about the kingdom, seed is being sown. Um, if we have someone come up here and they give a testimony of a physical healing, like God healed them, listen, that's seed being sown. And, some of, and, and that will produce, for some people, that produces a harvest. For some people, that bounces right off of their heart. Okay, when you hear a testimony of God's goodness, that's supposed to go into your heart and change you and, and, and do something in you. Amen? So, um, uh, uh, so when you, um, a, physical, a testimony of physical healing or a testimony of God changing people's life, listen, that's a message about the kingdom being sown into your heart. And the enemy wants to snatch that away immediately. Okay, now listen, the power is in the seed, but the condition of the heart determines the harvest. Okay, the power is in the seed. The power is in the word of God, but the condition of the heart determines the harvest. I'm, I'm preaching right now. I'm, I'm speaking of the Bible. I'm speaking of the word of God. For some of you, this is going in deep. This is going into the soil of your heart and will produce something. For some of you, it's, the enemy of your soul wants it to bounce right off of you and you not to have any revelation of what's happening, okay? Um, now, what kind of harvest am I talking about? What are we believing for? What are we wanting for? What are, what are we looking at? Um, what does a harvest look like? I would say three things. Number one, a transformed life, okay? When I read my Bible, I try not to, and it's, it's hard to do sometimes, I try not to read this for a sermon. I try not to get in here like, oh, I, I got to do something on Sunday, so I better read the Bible, right? I try to read this to tr- change and transform my heart. I want to experience God's presence. I, wanna, I want the Holy Spirit to, to make this come alive to me so that it changes me. I try not to read this so I can debate better with people and argue with people. I try not to read this for my do-gooder checklist. I try to read this to fellowship with God and let it change and transform me. Transform life. Okay, so what does a harvest look like? A, a transform life. Number two, number two, um, a harvest looks like being propelled into your destiny. The enemy of your soul does not want you to be propelled into your destiny. And number three, a harvest looks like growing in intimacy with God. Amen. These are the things God's seed will produce in your life, and these are the things that the enemy of your soul is trying to snatch away from you. So we're going to look at this today. 
Um, aren't you glad that sometimes Jesus interpreted his own parables? In this case, he did. Sometimes he'll say a parable, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. He who has the ears to hear, I'm like, I guess I don't have ears to hear, you know, because I don't know what he's saying here. Some, some, some commentary, you tell me what's going on here. Okay, in this case, thankfully, Jesus interpreted his own parable, and he says this, Matthew 13, 18 through 19, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Okay, how many farmers do we have in here? Any farmers? Okay, raise your hands. Be proud of it. Okay, come on. Now, let me ask you a question, farmers, and I guess people who, how many gardeners? We got a few, okay, we got a few more gardeners here. Okay, good. Um, let me ask you a question. Would you ever sow seed in a place where you're going to be regularly walking? No, that's the seed sown along the path. Go ahead and put up that picture of the path picture. Come on, all right. Not a good place to sow seed, right? This is the seed so along the path. Satan works overtime to snatch seeds from taking root in our lives. And many of our hearts, come on, many of our hearts are like this pathway. We have seeds sown there. Listen, it's not gonna, and even if it does take root, it's gonna get run over and it's gonna get destroyed, okay? What does this look like? It's the person who doesn't understand it and doesn't receive it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is exalted, who is the exact likeness of God. Okay? Satan wants to blind the hearts and the minds of unbelievers. In fact, maybe you're here, and Leslie talked about the gospel, how to get right with God. And maybe you're like, I just don't get it. Listen, Satan wants to keep your, your, your heart and your mind blinded. If, um, when you read the word, or you receive a genuine prophetic word, or you hear anointed preaching, the enemy of your soul will want to steal it from you. Why? Because it's a fruit producer. Okay? The reason why we need to be in the word so much is because it produces a harvest in our lives. It, we we want to be more like Jesus. We've got to be in his word. It's, it's sown into our hearts, and it will produce a harvest for us. A genuine word from the Lord, left to a good heart, will yield a crop. A genuine word from the Lord. A, a genuine, when you read the word, when you receive a prophetic word, when you hear good preaching, that left to a good heart will yield a crop. And this is why one of the, some people don't know how to pray for like, how do you pray for family members who don't know the Lord or unbelievers? Listen, Ephesians 1, 15 um, through 17 is a great way to pray for people and to pray for yourself. Um, it says this. This is one of the apostolic prayers. Paul says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus, and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay? We all need a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know God better. You don't have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, you're not going to know God better. Okay? This is how we could pray for unbelievers. This is how we can pray for ourselves. If you're reading the word and you're like, it's just not coming alive to me. I'm just not getting it. Man, ask God. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That when I read your words, that jumps off the page and the Holy Spirit brings it to life. Come on. It's good stuff. <clears throat> so, um, Satan is trying to snatch these seeds sown into the hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. Verse 20, Matthew 20, uh, 13, 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places 
is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he falls away quickly, okay? The rocky places. This is the person who receives the word gladly at first, but falls away. Go ahead and put up the picture of the rocky places. Maybe over there. There you go. Okay, it's back. Okay, this is a soil, and so plants can grow there, but it's, it's got rocks in it, okay? Okay, this is a picture of some people's hearts. We've got soil, things are growing there, but there's rocks in it. There's hard places in it, okay? This is why we need Jesus to come and walk through our lives and help us weed out these rocks to get them out of our lives, amen? You come to the Lord, he renews you, but to have to produce a harvest and to walk with him in intimate fellowship, sometimes we've got to get rid of some stuff like unforgiveness, uh, bitterness, resentment. And I actually, when I was preparing a sermon, I felt like the Lord highlighted one word, and that is regret. Some of you have regret in the, in, the, in the soil of your heart, and you need to get rid of that. You need to move forward and press forward. Amen? You can't change your past, but God can redeem your past. And you can press forward to a hopeful future with Jesus. Amen? So regret, just, if that's you, just receive that today. And don't go back there. And the enemy of your soul will try to bring that rock back. And just, remember that thing you did? Remember those, those you know, people you hurt, those things you did? Listen, don't let the enemy of your soul, once you've repented from that and moved on, don't let the enemy of your soul bring that back to you. Okay, this is the rocky soil. Jesus wants to help uproot these things out of our lives. Um, I don't know about you. This is kind of um, unique to me, but I only know a few people that do this. But when I mow my lawn, I like to mow my lawn without shoes on. Because I can pick up, I, I find rocks. I find little rocks, right? And then I find one and then I get a rock and then I throw it out into the rocks. Okay? Because why? I want the soil to be, I'm proud of my grass, by the way, okay? <laughs> Didn't know that. Um, so I want my grass to be green and I want it to be fertilized. I want it to grow well. And I'll find these little rocks. One time I did step on a wasp, though. That was not very cool. That was not fun. Um, <clears throat> This is a story from my wife's childhood. But my father-in-law, who's back in the corner in the blue shirt, by the way, um, when, when Emily was a little girl, they lived in South Dakota, and he was mowing the lawn, and there was a slope, and he was, I guess, somehow he slipped underneath, and his foot went underneath the mower and cut off part of his big toe. And he had shoes on. So if you want to look at his big toe later, you can do that, I guess. <laughs> I guess... <laughs> Pete, her, her brother, Emily's brother, he used to have friends over and be like, show him, show him the toe, show him the toe that's partially cut off, and he would show it, and they loved it, so anyway. But he had shoes on. Okay, now, this person, they receive the word of God gladly at first, gladly at first, but in the end, they're still unfruitful. Why? Because, of, because tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, as a result of the word. Sometimes when a seed is sown in our heart, there is persecution and trouble and trial because of the word. Okay, listen, if you live your life according to this word, if you live your life according to this, you're going in opposition to most of the world. You're swimming upstream. You're going against the grain, right? Um, so I think many times the question we should not be asking is, what am I doing wrong when there's trouble or persecution in our life? When we're living according to God's word and we're trying to live for Jesus, if things are going wrong in our lives, maybe the question we should, we should be asking is, I must be doing something right. What am I doing right? 
Maybe I'm in God's word and I'm going against the grain and there's trouble and persecution because I'm standing for something that's true. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> All right, where am I at? The temptation, though, for those who um, are unfruitful is to relinquish the word or relinquish the promise in order to gain um, relief from the discomfort. Okay? The enemy of your soul knows when you're holding on to something that's going to produce a harvest in your life, if he brings persecution your way and trouble your way, he knows that if you let go of that, like, you know, if I let go of this thing, if I let go of this promise, if I let go of serving God, my life might be easier. That's the temptation the enemy comes with us at. So many times when there's opposition in your life, I, like, I'll just give you an example of my own life. Sometimes I know, like, the sermon or the, or the service is going to be really good when I'm having a really hard week. I'm like, sermon must be great this week because I'm having a terrible week. There's opposition in my life, amen? And same thing with you guys. Many times when you're going in the right direction, there's trouble, there's persecution, okay? <clears throat> All right, so that's the seed sown on rocky places. Next one, seed sown among the thorns. Matthew 13, verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Go ahead and put up the picture of the thorny soil, okay? Many of us have, this is a picture of the soil of our heart. We've got, we're saved, we're going to heaven, we believe in Jesus, but there is opposition in our life. What does it look like? Worry. Jesus specifically mentions worry. The worries of life choke out the promises of God and the things that God's trying to do in your life, okay? Listen, worrying is a fruit killer. Worrying is a fruit killer in your life. And I thought of this last night. Worrying is actually intercession misguided. Worrying is prayer misguided. What are we supposed to do with our cares? Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Thank God he cares for us. And we can cast our cares on him. We all have situations that we can't control. We all have situations we're trying to manage our lives. We all have things we have to just give to God. God, I can't manage this. I cast my care upon you because why? You care for me. Okay? Worrying is actually prayer and intercession misdirected, misguided. We're supposed to take those things and give them to God because it will kill the fruit in your life. Jesus also mentions here the deceitfulness of wealth. The Bible refers to it as the love of money. Okay, the love of money. Listen, money in and of itself is not evil. In fact, I think, I think there are some people who have a lot of money, they don't love it, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't cause them to stumble. And I think you can actually be a poor person and still have the love of money. I actually don't think it's about the quantity of money you have. I think it's more about where your trust and your confidence lies. Where does your affection lie? Okay, how much, how much is too much for someone to have? Well, I think that's different for everyone. I think some people can handle $100,000 in the bank because their, their faith and trust is in the Lord. And other people, that would just wreck them because they, they would look at their bank account and that's where their confidence is. Okay? So the, the love of money is, is the problem here. It's the deceitfulness, uh, deceitfulness of wealth. I like the way um, the book of Mark book puts this. Mark 4.19 Jesus said, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. <clears throat> the desire for other things. We all have a wanter, don't we? We all have a wanter, and sometimes our wanter is choking out what God wants to do in our lives. It's choking out our fruitfulness. Um, years ago, I was with a friend, and we were at a store, and you guys have seen this. Maybe you've 
maybe you have children who've done this, but the kid wants candy or something, and mom says no, her dad says no, and then the kid throws a fit and throws himself on the floor. I mean, you've seen that a few times, right? So we're in a store, and we see this situation playing out, and I remember thinking, the way I was raised, my dad's doing security, by the way, um, if I threw myself on the floor because I couldn't get candy, I had an appointment later with, uh, <laughs> with... So I learned very quickly not to pull that one, okay? But I remember I'm in the store, and with a, I'm with a friend, and, and uh, we saw this, and we're like, yeah, poor mom, you know, I have to deal with that. Um, but he said to me, when he was little, as they were on their way into a store, his mom would say to him, his name is Jason, his mom would say, Jason, you need to get your wanter under control, Okay, we're going to the store. There's going to be stuff. I need you to get your wanter under control. Okay, listen, some of us need to get our wanter under control. Your wanter is running rampant. Your wanter is running wild. And what is it doing? Many times it's killing the fruitfulness in your life, the desire for other things. Why? We have no contentment in our life. Okay, I, I understand wanting to do great things with your life and wanting more and I want more of God and I want, you know, more salvations and more church and more, you know, we, you want to make more money. I understand that. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with having some ambition. But if there's no contentment in your life, and we know, Emily and I talk about this sometimes, we know people, it's like, no matter what happens, they're never content. They're always chasing something. Their wanter is out of control and it's killing the fruit in their lives, okay? We got to get our wanters under control. All right. What's the last soil? The last soil is the good soil. This is the one we want, all right? Go ahead and put up that picture, okay? This is good soil. This is malleable. It's soft. Seeds go into it. Amen? This is what we want. This is a picture. What does this look like? It's malleable. It's pliable. Now, I want to read what the good soil looks like from the three synoptic gospels that I mentioned that the parable of the sower is in. So Matthew 13, 23 Jesus said, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What did they do? They hear and they understand. Okay, look at the way Mark puts this. Mark 4.20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. Okay, so this person hears and accepts. Okay, when you read this, <laughs> it's, it's more than just hearing it, it's actually accepting it. When you read the, when you read the word, when you, when you hear preaching, it's more than just hearing it, it's actually accepting it into your heart. In fact, the book of James says, don't just listen, don't just listen to the word of God, do the word. Like, do what it says. Don't just be hearers of the word, okay? Uh, and then I like, the best one I like is Luke eight fifteen. It says this, but the seed sown on good soil stands for those who with a noble and good heart hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Okay? Hear, retain, and persevere. That is a picture of the heart where seeds are sown and it produces a harvest in our lives. We want to hear, we want to retain it. Remember last week I talked about when the shepherds um, came and saw um, Jesus was born and, and they declared what the angel had said to them. It says that Mary treasured these things up in her heart. Mary treasured these things. She's, she protected them. She guarded them. She stored them up. Listen, we have to do that with the word of God. We don't just hear it. Treasure it in your heart. Hold it near and dear to you. It'll produce a harvest in your life. And then many times we have to take that and also persevere with it. 
You can't just hear it and hold it. We have to actually persevere forward with it, okay? What does a harvest look like in our life? It looks like a transformed life. It looks like being propelled into your destiny. It looks like growing in intimacy with God. How do we do that? We have to hear it, retain it, and persevere through it. <clears throat> and I'll, uh, I'll conclude with this. James 1.21, it says this, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Okay? The word of God has the seed of God planted in our hearts has the power to save our souls. And not just, yes, of course, obviously salvation going to be with him forever in heaven, but also to save you in the present tense. Save you from the situation that you're walking through. Uh, persevere, um, get that word in your heart and persevere forward with it. Amen? It has the power to save your souls. It has the power to transform your life. It has the power to bring you into an intimate relationship with Jesus, a living relationship. But we must humbly accept the seed and accept it. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between uh, joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Okay, I don't know about you. This Bible is living and active. When I read this, it exposes my thoughts and desires. It exposes them to me. In other words, it cuts me. Amen? Sometimes this book cuts me. I, I just, I just want to give you permission. Let this cut you. Let this cut you deep. Listen, when was the last time you let this cut you to the heart? When was the last time you wept over the word? Um, my wife knows me probably better than anyone. She knows I'm not a crier. I don't cry a lot. I don't cry over many things. But one thing that does make me cry is if I'm in, if I'm in the word and God's speaking to my heart, or if I'm in worship, many times that will move me to tears. I'm not a cry, but let it move you to tears. Let it cut you. Let it bring you overwhelming joy when you read the part about having faith righteousness, being right with God. Come on, that's like a good place to have joy. Amen? And yes, some of it is harder than others. I understand that. Like when you get into the begots, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, you know. I have a tendency to want to skim the begots as well. So I'm not saying it's all cotton candy, but there's some broccoli up in here, amen? <clears throat> but still eat it because it's still good for you. But this word will never become obsolete. It will never lose its power. It was powerful 120 years ago. It'll be powerful 120 years from now. Amen? All right, why don't you guys stand on your feet? I'm going to pray. So Jesus, we love you. We love you, God. And God, I ask, just as Paul did in Ephesians, God, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better, Lord. God, that when we read the word of God, and we, when we're on our way to church, we're asking for pliable, malleable hearts. We're not coming to church with a hard heart. We're not coming to church... Um, with offenses and bitterness, Lord, we're coming ready to receive. When we have our quiet times, we're ready to receive. When we receive a, a word of encouragement, a prophetic word, we're ready to receive that on good soil. So, Lord, I bless this church. I pray that we would have a reverence for the word of God like no other church, that we would reverence your words, Jesus. We would live by them, Lord. And I just bless your children today. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody out there said, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.
Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.